All right. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Happy Christmas Eve. Uh, it feels different up here. It feels different for me, at least this Christmas of, I don't know, I've always, I always expect snow now that I'm living the East Coast. And it feels uh, really weird not to see snow at all, really. And so, you know, I think uh, <clears throat> it's something that I'm waiting for. And, at, you know, as we think about Christmas just in general, um, and the story of Christ, it is this anticipation and this waiting that, that really draws us to what we celebrate, celebrating this life. And, you know, I hope today's message, today's message is about a man named Simeon, and he is in anticipating, waiting for the Messiah to come. And it's a reminder for us of just what that, what those heart of that looks like, awaiting an expectation, right, of who God is and knowing his heart for his people. And that's what we celebrate. Even though there's no snow, even though it doesn't, may or may not feel like Christmas, it is the celebration of the coming of Christ that we <clears throat> have come together and are here to celebrate. So today's uh, is the last uh, message of the first Christmas carols series, right? And we're going to look into Simeon's life and what he says and what he praises his carol about Jesus. And this is in, found in Luke 2, verses 22, us, um, as we continue. It says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, this is for Jesus being born, they, uh, Joseph and Mary, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, was, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In his song, in his carol, this Simeon's song of praise, I want us to just be reminded of three things this Christmas. The first is a reminder of how salvation is available to, for all, right? And that's part of God's story and his plan for redemption throughout the ages. Next, <clears throat> uh, idea of the faithful in the ordinary, faithful in the ordinary and in his life, and lastly, resting in peace. Right? In his carol, in his song, and in his praise, as he holds baby Jesus in his arms, he says, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your revelation, your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Right? It's, I think it's a reminder, especially at Christmas, sometimes we become... Uh, insular, at least sometimes for myself, we celebrate with our nuclear families, we celebrate with our friends, 
And that's great. That's amazing time to just kind of gather together with friends and family. But I realize that the message of the gospel, the message and the heart of God is a revelation to all people, to the Gentiles, not just to those who we are comfortable with. This statement at that time by this man is radical. Sometimes for us, as we hear it now, we hear it as we're not, most of us are probably not from Jewish descent, right? But for us, that message has come to us right now, right? The, a revelation to the Gentiles, that was radical for that person to speak, for Joseph and Mary to hear, right? For them to ponder and treasure in their hearts of what it says earlier, that this message this Messiah is for all people, a revelation, a way of salvation for all. And you see this, I just want to highlight just a few passages from the Old Testament to the New, of just waiting, of seeing that this has always been the story of God. There's always been what God's plan was. You know, it's not just for the Israelites. It's not just for Israel. It says in Isaiah 49, verse 6, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a, as a light for the nations and that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Right? The message and the salvation, it was always towards the ends of the earth. Us right here, right now. In Zechariah 2, Verses 10 and 11 says this, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I'll dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. In Psalms, I'm just giving you kind of a picture. In Psalms 22, verses 27, there's many, many more. It says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Right? For them to hear all of this, to know that the Messiah is coming, that radical statement, yet it was something that was planted and had seeds throughout the Old Testament, being revealed, understood, with Christ's coming. But yet, yet, you see this still in Acts 22 in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, of just the wrestling of this understanding and, and kind of letting that be. Acts 22, it says, Therefore, as they is of early church, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. In Ephesians 3, this mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I highlight these verses and even the story from the Old Testament to the New because I realize more and more sometimes that although we might know, just like the Israelites, they may have known that God was sending his Messiah, that it was not just for the Israelites, it's for all to the ends of the earth, for us today, that yet the early church were wrestling, what does that look like? What does that mean? That their practice may not have been as inviting as what they understood and believed. You know, I think for most of us, especially at Christmas time, I think this is something that's a challenge and a reflection, a reminder in this message, is that most of us won't say that we have these biases. We won't say it out loud. We might not even think it out loud against certain people, groups, or whatever. But our practices, 
sometimes show that we disengage or disassociate with certain people. And I think this is the message of the gospel and a challenge that it is a message for all. It is salvation available for all. It's a challenge for us. How do we live and practice our lives in ways that reflect that? Not just what we say, but how do we live? And more and more as we celebrate Christmas, how is that part of our everyday lives right now? You know, his message, his sto- the story of God, the redemptive story, has always been for all people. And for them to receive him, to believe in him, to trust him. But for us as witnesses, as ambassadors, I think knowing that, what does that look like to, for us to live that? For us to receive and love on people that may or may not be the same as us, that may rub us the wrong way, but that God loves and God has called us to love. Right? His song of praise reflects and also reminds us of how that story is here today and continues on in our lives. To the ends of the earth has been all the way to us as Gentiles and continues through us. What does that look like and what does that mean? The second point I want to just highlight today is the faithful and the ordinary. All right, you see this guy, <clears throat> Simeon, he was a righteous, was, this man was righteous and devout. The Bible, you know, describes him as righteous, not because that he lived a perfect life. Rather, when the Bible describes someone as righteous, it means that they trust completely God for their lives. Right? It's not because they earned it, they've done the right things, but they were declared righteous from the scripture. It's because he puts his faith in God. He was justified in Christ, right? Even though he didn't know Christ in God at that time. But what's interesting is that he's also, they also describe him as devout. Someone that lived out what he knew, what he understood. And I, I want to highlight this because this is something <clears throat> that sometimes we pass through, right? But this, it says the way that it says and describes him is that he was a man in Jerusalem. Perhaps an ordinary man, I don't know. It doesn't tell you, it doesn't say much about who Simeon is anywhere else in the Bible, but he was a man in Jerusalem that was <laughs> described by God as righteous and devout. Right? He was not necessarily a priest, someone that's famous, someone that's in leader, but rather someone that's just a person in Jerusalem that was righteous and devout. And in this way, he was used by God. He was used by God to declare the coming of the Messiah, to hold baby Jesus in his arms. I think too often we might sometimes think, and especially the culture of today, is to be unique, to be special, to do great things. But it's a story that I'm reminded in seeing his life of just how he is ordinary, a man in Jerusalem, that not much else is spoken, that was faithful and devout. That was not so much of what he did and all the other stuff that drew him to this, but that God saw him as righteous, declared him as righteous, and he lived a devout life. 
And in living that life, another thing that stands out is that he was waiting. He was waiting for, for Christ. Right? He knew through the Holy Spirit that had spoken to him that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Christ. Right? He knew the Messiah. He knew that this Messiah was coming. I think this just shows not just so much of just the righteous and devout of a religious life of doing things the right way, but that his, there was a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God. We often talk about that. We talk about having a relationship, but what does that look like? What does that mean? I think we see parts of it here, right? That he heard from the Holy Spirit. He knew he was moved by the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him. He wasn't a prophet, at least that wasn't described. He wasn't someone that just, that God was a priest in a way that you would think someone would be used by God, but rather he was a man in Jerusalem that the Holy Spirit came upon. And that this man had that relationship with Christ, with God, where he knew the promises. He was looking forward to that promises. And lastly, as this man in Jerusalem had this relationship with God, lived a righteous, a devout life, is that he came in the spirit into the temple. And this is what I wanna highlight about Simeon, about how his relationship with God is, is not only that he heard and he knew the promises, but that he responded. He responded to the ways that the Lord was leading him, the spirit was leading. You know, of all the days that he could have gone to the temple, he went, at the right time, at the right place, right? Right when Jesus was being, des- uh, uh, um, being purified, this purification being, being kind of set apart for God, right? the firstborn in every family being presented in the temple, he happens to be there at the right time as they're coming in, around, as they're there, and that he's able to see the Messiah's Hold him in his arms. I want to highlight that because I think there is a response. Not only do we want to have a relationship with Christ, do we hear the kind of idea of, oh, I want to hear from God, but how do we respond to the things of God? How do we respond in the ways that he's leading that we would do what he's asking us and calling us to, right? How do we join in on what God is doing? And you see in his life, that he responded, and that he was in the temple at the time of Mary and Joseph. You know, I think this is why I think he's declared righteous and devout. Not because he's a man that, you know, certainly lived a certain way, but I think what you see, a relationship with God that responds to God, that lives for God. And that's why he was declared righteous and devout, a man in Jerusalem that was then used for the extraordinary, used for what God's story and God's plan had, that he was faithful in the ordinary. And this is a challenge for many of us when we think about faithful in the extraordinary or being extraordinary, being special, being unique, but rather being faithful in the ordinary, in the things of God, that he is speaking and leading in your life. And that is a good thing. 
And lastly, I want to highlight for his Christmas Eve message is resting in peace in what he says. He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying that now you are letting your servant depart in peace. You know, I think this idea of departing in peace is, is, you know, is the idea for him that he's ready to die. That he's, he's seen and completed the mission that God has given him. He's accomplished the things that God has spoken and lived, purposed in his life. That he's ready. And I, I think about this primarily because, uh, you know, I'm thinking about what does it look like to depart in peace? And I recently attended my grandma's funeral. And I was thinking about this of departing in peace. And part of that I want to highlight and just think about is what is to depart in peace would also mean, perhaps, to live in peace. Do you know, it's not just, okay, I'm ready and then now you're going. But part of it is being able to have looked back and lived in peace to then depart in peace. What does that look like in our lives of living with God and in the center of his will, walking with him? To live in peace, to me, to me, is part of that relationship of fulfilling the things of God that he has led, called us, prepared for us. And likewise, part of that it's not that they, we live a perfect life or one that's without any mistakes, but rather to look back and realize I've done all that I could. I think I did the best that I, could, that I can. I've been faithful the best ways that I could. And I still made mistakes knowing that that's not why I'm justified. That's not why I have a relationship. It's because of Christ's coming that I have this relationship. But... I want to live in that devout, that response to God, that I can live in that peace. You know, my grandmother, he, she lived until 99 years old, and she was a month away from being 100. And as I looked at the, the slideshow for my grandmother's life, um, you know, I just realized, like, she lived a very full life, and she... You know, her, her kids, my, my mom, my uncle, my aunt, they all saw that, you know, she lived a full life. She was able to do the things that she wanted to do, and she was able to live a full life. And not many people could say that they lived to 99, you know. But one thing that was bothering me, and one thing that I've wrestled with, and perhaps why my Christmas spirit is not as high as it, it could be, is that I realized that she was also, she is a firm Buddhist believer. You know, and I, as a pastor, as a Christian, I just wrestle with what that means. I wrestle with what that departure would mean for me, for her. And I don't know. Do you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know that even though she lived in peace, that departure part of peace 
is there. I share that not because <clears throat> uh, that I, you know, there's anything that I want to kind of draw you to necessarily. But I, I, I wrestle with that because departing in peace also to me looks like knowing and being assured of where you're going. And I, I, I think, especially as we celebrate Christmas, is that Christ's coming is not the end of right there at that moment. His second coming, what we and await in patience in anticipations, as we wait for that, why? It's because of the eternal life that we're looking at. His kingdom to come, to establish true justice here on earth, true peace. To me, departing, living in peace is one thing, departing in peace is another. And it is one that has challenged, you know, my, my response of thinking through how I want to continue to love my mom and re reach out to my brother and share with them this peace that, that I have. That I know that death is not the end. That I don't have to fear death, but rather I could live with knowing that there will be peace in death, right? For Simeon, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I think this is huge in, in just thinking about his life, of being able to hold baby Jesus. And I even think about it for myself of holding, you know, an infant that's 40 days old or a few days old. You know, they're really light. You could hold cradle them like a football almost. They're even lighter than that sometimes. And you're just, it just feels different. You know, now that I have a 20 pound baby I'm carrying, it's sometimes I'm like, I gotta put you down because it's too much. But holding baby Jesus, seeing his eyes, his face, seeing the reincarnation, seeing coming, the <clears throat> incarnation of God here. I imagine his life of when he says that I can depart in peace, I have seen your salvation. That there is so much for him, peace and looking forward to not just this life, but the life to come. And I think this is why Paul says this in Philippians 1. Paul is able to say this in verse 21, for me, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm able to live in the flesh, that means, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. You know, he says this powerful sentence, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think Paul, when he saw, <clears throat> when he experienced and encountered Jesus and his life not being the same anymore, that he knew that death was not it. That even death is gain and for him to live is Christ. is a whole new paradigm than living just for the now, living for this what we see intangible. Because that is 
the most normal thing to do. But for him to say that, for Simeon to say that, I think they caught a glimpse of what life is with Christ now and after death. And that peace that he has, that peace that I, I believe Paul has, that he speaks of, that his desire to depart and be with Christ is far better, that that is a challenge for all of us in this Christmas of even anticipating, desiring for Christ to come again. And that is the call for those who believe in Christ, a desire not just that he has come, but that he will come again. And that he would then bring true shalom, true peace, wholeness, peace in this world. And that we should desire and look forward to that. That that life, even after, after death is good. And that's the reminder for us as I want to just highlight these three simple points. That is not just so much about knowing that salvation is available, but living out how that extension of the love that God has given us to those around us. How living out in that way is being faithful in the ordinary and not so much of just waiting for those extraordinary times where God speaks so loudly or you know that it's but living in faithfulness, living in response to the Spirit, and being able to live in peace right now and also depart in peace, knowing that our lives does not end, but that we would live in Christ with him eternally with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, um, Lord, we are weak. Lord, and we are, Lord, oftentimes just, Lord, distracted in this world, Lord, amused in this world of finding ways to numb our eternal longings. And so, Lord, Remind us, Lord, remind us today as we celebrate Christmas, remind us as we celebrate the coming of your son who no one knew at that time was coming. But Lord, we look back and we, we think the coming of your son and what that plan of salvation meant for all of us and especially us today. Help us to anticipate, await for your son to come again. To desire that even. Help us to live in peace while we're here and be able to depart in peace. Help us to live faithfully, not that, not that we can will it, but that your spirit will enable us to do that. To have this relationship with you, that's so much more than just doing what you have for us, but living with you, knowing your voice, seeing your presence all around us. Lord, that's what we celebrate today as we prepare for Christmas, is knowing that your presence is all around, that you have come and you will come again. And so, Lord, we lift up this time of celebration 
We lift up this time of worship. Help us to stay, take a step back. Lord, perhaps in silence, in preparation of just hearts of gratitude before you to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, we thank you again that we could come together today and just be reminded of your truths. May we treasure it, ponder over it, and rejoice in the life that you have given. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.